As I said, each Sunday in January we are spending some time looking at a different psalm together and today it's that one, Psalm 26. So if you could keep your Bibles open to Psalm 26, that would be helpful. Let's pray though again as we come to look at this a bit more together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that this morning that your word will speak to our hearts, to our minds, that you'll help us to be people who... Uh, not just are hearers of your word, but doers of it, who don't look at uh, the word like someone looking in a mirror and forget what they look like, but that go away and are changed by it. And we pray that that is true for each one of us this morning. Amen. I'm sure that most of us have heard of the idea of the Sunday Christian. Uh, And perhaps if we've heard of the idea that that's not the person that we want to be. You know the idea, the Sunday Christian is the person who turns up to church on Sunday, uh, who prays the prayers, sings the songs, listens to the sermon, knows the things to say as we talk to people after church, knows what to say and what not to say and so on. But there is a disconnect between who I am at church and what I'm like during the rest of the week. It's not necessarily that I'm putting on an act, that I'm being deliberately fake. It's just that there is an inconsistency between these different parts of my life. As I said, I suspect that most people kind of understand that idea and I presume that we don't want to be that person. And maybe we're, we're conscious of the possibility of being like that. Maybe as we look back over the past week, we've seen aspects of that in our own lives or, or maybe even over the past year, but we don't want to be like that. We want to be the person who can honestly say, I have lived my faith with integrity, with consistency, with wholeness. And that's really what this psalm is about, living with integrity of faith. And what it involves, what it looks like to be able to say, I have lived with integrity and consistency in my faith as a Christian. This psalm is, is, is the prayer of someone who is standing in the temple in, in the Old Testament times, standing before the Lord, and who says, this is who I am all of the time. I have lived the life of faith with integrity. I mean, isn't that a, a great thing to aim for, right? A, a great thing to pray for as we look at this psalm together and as we look to the year ahead. And so as we begin, I want to ask you, is that something that you want to be able to say of yourself? Well, if it is, God willing, this psalm will help us to be able to do that. So let's have a look at it together. And the first thing that we see in this psalm is that integrity of faith will mean that I invite God to examine me, to search and to test my heart and my mind as only God can, and to judge me accordingly. Have a look with me at verses 1 and 2. Vindicate me, O Lord. For I have led a blameless life. I have trusted the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Now, just to be clear, where he says I've lived a blameless life, this is not talking about sinless perfection, as if I never do anything wrong. Where it says blameless, it's really talking about integrity, consistency, that my spiritual life is a complete whole, not with different parts that are conflicting and different to each other that I try to keep separate. 
And so he calls on verse one, in verse 1 on God to judge him in that regard. Again, where it says vindicate me, that first word there, it literally just says judge me. And, and so some other translations put that first verse, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in integrity. And this call for God to judge me is kind of repeated and expanded in verse 2 there. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. You see there he's inviting God to examine his heart and his mind and his life. Now calling on God to judge me, to examine every aspect of my heart and my life That's not something that you want to do lightly. But this is what the psalm calls for, for someone who has nothing to hide from God, for someone whose walk with God is one of integrity and consistency. And and I think this is the perfect starting place for guarding against spiritual fakeness or inconsistency. You might be able to convince everyone else around you of your spiritual uprightness, so to speak. But in the end, that's not who you need to convince. Spiritual integrity means recognising that God is the one who sees, who knows, who judges, not the people around me. And if we recognise that, then spiritual fakeness becomes meaningless. We know that God searches our hearts and our minds, and so the person of spiritual integrity is open to that. She or he willingly opens themselves to that kind of examination from God because she knows that she's got nothing to hide, because he knows that he has lived with integrity. There is consistency between my words of faith and my heart and my mind. But more than that, this idea of searching includes asking God to search out my sin. Not that it's not there, but asking God to search it out and show it to me. Like when we pray Psalm 139. I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 139. If you're not, write it down and go and read it later on. Sometimes we pray it when we're praying a prayer of confession together. It says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Find the sin that is in me. Show it to me and lead me on the right path. Being open to God's searching and examination means willing for God to show me my own sin so that I can turn away from it. Can you see how this psalm is so helpful as a motivation to be that kind of person who has nothing to hide? Because you can't honestly pray this kind of prayer on a Sunday, right? But then at the same time behaving on a Saturday night or on a Monday morning as if God doesn't see. The God that we pray to on Sunday is the God that sees us on Saturday and Monday. And calling God to search my heart and my mind includes my emotions and my thoughts. God knows your thoughts and mine, the secret thoughts that no one else knows. Will you call on God to examine those and even your emotions I want God to examine my emotions, what I love, where my heart wanders to when no one else knows, or where I look look to for satisfaction and security in life. 
or what I fear and how my fears control me and how that fear affects my behaviour? Are you willing to call on God to examine you with this kind of openness and, and depth? That's the kind of people that we want to be, completely open before God every day of the week. That's our first point. The person with integrity of faith invites God to examine them. And the second bit that we're going to see in verse 3, I reckon, is the key for getting this whole thing right. Because it reminds us that the focus for the authentic Christian life must always begin with God and not with myself. That is, it tells us that the person who lives the Christian life with integrity has the love and faithfulness of God always before them, always on your mind. So let me read verse 3 now. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. What is it that's going to help you to live a consistent and a genuine Christian life? This verse, I think, gives us the answer. It's about seeing all of life through what you know of the love of God and the faithfulness of God. Letting that be the lens, I guess you could say, that you see the rest of life through. It's it's like you're looking at the world through a certain kind of glasses and making sure that you see the world through the right kind of glasses. It's like, you know, when you go to see a 3D movie and you've got those really trendy 3D glasses that you have to wear in order to be able to see it properly. Actually, the last 3D movie that I went to see was Avatar. And I don't mean the one that's just come out. I mean the first one. So it's been a while for me since I went to see But you know when you, you go to the movies, you get those glasses. And I, and I did what I'm sure anyone who's been to a 3D movie has also done. I took them off just to see what it looks like without the glasses on. And, you know, you can see, kind of. You can get an idea of what's going on, but you can't see very clearly. You can't get a proper, clear idea of what they want you to see because you're meant to see them through those glasses. You can't see them through sunglasses. You can't see it through reading glasses or no glasses. 3D movies are meant to be seen through the lens of 3D glasses. And the world around us was made to be seen through the lens of the character of God. The love and the faithfulness of God is the way to see this world rightly. Because the fact is, everyone sees the world through some kind of lens, through a certain perspective. Whether we realise it or not, no one sees the world from a neutral perspective as much as some people might like to claim that they do. And the perspective that we see the world from will control how you understand the world and the things that happen and how you react to the things that happen in your life. So if I see the world as that everything is happening by random chance and that there is no overarching plan or purpose or person who is in control of the world, then that will affect how I react to things. I then need to control what happens in my life and make sure that things work out the way that I want them to because I can't rely on anyone else to do that for me. I need to take control, whatever that involves. But if I believe that there is a loving and faithful God 
who is in control of everything and who is working out his good plan in this world and in my life, then that should make a difference for how I react to what happens in my life. And here's the key, I think, that the psalm points us to in this regard. That is that trusting God's love and faithfulness leads me to do what is right in those situations where things seem out of control because I can trust that God has my good in his hands. And in particular, it stops me from being the kind of person that the psalm then goes on to talk about. The deceitful person who deceives other people in order to try and control situations and people around me. Or the people who use bribes, that is, who use their money to try and control people and and often to perpetuate injustice. Or the hypocrite who says one thing for appearances but who does something else. Or people who outright harm others to get what they want for themselves. Seeing the world through the, through the lens, through the, the glasses of God's love and faithfulness means that you will trust him rather than doing those things to try and get what you think you need out of life. It means that I take what I know of God and I make sure that I keep that in my sight, that I keep that in my mind when I encounter difficulties or when I face opportunities or uncertainty, that's the thing that I see first, the love and the faithfulness of God, and that's what makes the difference to how I respond in those situations. And so I say to myself as a result, even if I can't see how things are going to work out in this situation, can I trust God enough to follow what he says I should do in this moment, to live the way that he wants me to live, to follow his lead? And to answer that question with a yes, yes, I can. Yes, I can trust him with the outcome of this situation. That's what it means to live with the love and the faithfulness of God always before me. The next point we're going to see in this psalm is that the person who worships God with integrity puts distance between themselves and whatever might lead them to sin, and particularly the people who might lead them to sin. Have a look at verses 4 and 5 with me now. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. Now the focus you might notice here is on who I hang out with and as a result, how I behave. Because the company you keep makes a difference. As the Bible says elsewhere, bad company corrupts good character. It's kind of like that rotten piece of fruit in the bottom of the fruit bowl. You know how particularly in summer if you left a bit of fruit in there a bit too long and you go to grab it and it's that rotten that your finger just kind of goes straight through it. Sometimes it's not just a problem for that one piece of fruit. Sometimes the rot spreads to the rest of the fruit bowl, right, and you've got to chuck the whole lot out. Well, it can be like that with people and the bad influence that others can have on us, whether physically who we hang out with or who we relate with online and what we watch and, and, and follow online. Who I hang out with is no neutral thing. It says something about my character and my priorities, what I value, and it affects my behaviour. 
All too often I've seen people led into sin and sometimes even away from Jesus because of who they hang out with. And, and yet I keep coming across people who say, yeah, but I'm the exception. That's not what's going to happen to me. And it's almost never the case. The person who is really trying to let their faith flow out into all of life doesn't flirt with temptations to sin, whether it's people or places or things that I do. We want to put as much distance as possible between ourselves and those temptations. And they're realistic about the influence that other people have on them. Now, I'm conscious that we usually think about this kind of thing in regards to teenagers, right? Peer pressure and the influence that that can have in teenage years. But it's not just for teenagers. It can happen to us at every stage of life. And so I've known people at every stage of life who are deliberately conscious of where they go and who they hang out with, people who choose not to go to certain parties, people who choose not to go to work drinks because they know the negative influence that has on their godliness. For some of us, it'll just mean avoiding those conversations or the people or even the online world that focuses all on wealth or achievements or experiences, what we have, what we look like, because I know that those will lead me to greed or dissatisfaction or both, and that's not going to be helpful for my godliness. Now, this is not saying, this is not saying never hang out with anyone except Christians, that we should live in this kind of little Christian bubble and never venture out of it. It's saying look carefully at the company you keep and who is influencing who. Are you bringing your non-Christian friends to Jesus or are they bringing you to sin? Are they bringing you to their values of the world? God can save people by another means if necessary, but it should not be at the cost of your own godliness. How is your company, your friends, affecting your character, your priorities and your behaviour? That's our third point. The person who worships God with integrity puts distance between themselves and whatever is likely to lead them to sin. Fourthly, the next thing we're going to see in verses 6 to 8 is that the person with integrity of faith can praise God with a clean conscience. Can praise God with a clean conscience. Let me read from verse 6. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. As I said, the setting here seems to be the the Old Testament temple and the altar that was there. So the Israelites would come and they would would make sacrifices and worship at the temple. And in verse 6, the symbolic hand-washing that the priests would do in the, in the basin at the altar, I wash my hands in innocence, that would actually, those clean hands would actually symbolise what is true of the heart, that it's consistent with a clean heart and not just an outward show. And so because of that, I can actually declare the praises of God in a way that's not fake. Proclaiming, verse 7, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Now, church, 
is not the temple. But if you are the person who lives the life of faith with integrity, then you can praise God with joy and with a clean conscience because there's no hypocrisy. There is no fakeness in your words of praise. That really is what's in the heart. Every week in church we sing praise to God. If I have been, as we said in, in, in point two, living with the love and faithfulness of God always before me in my mind throughout the week, then my praise will be genuine and joyful. I will want to tell of his wonderful deeds because that's what's close to my heart. I'm living that reality. I'm walking with the Lord as my loving and generous father. And so, of course, I want to praise him for that. And even even when I'm conscious of my sin and my failures, even that makes me want to praise him because I know of his mercy and his forgiveness. Which brings us to our fifth and final point. The person who worships God with integrity rests confidently in the mercy and salvation of God. Let me read now from verse 9 and to the end. Do not take away my soul along with the sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground in the great congregation. I will praise the Lord. As I said, the the blameless life that it mentions there is not talking about sinless perfection, but integrity, consistency, wholeness in my spiritual life. Now that includes, as we've been talking about, that my words of faith fit with my actions and my heart, but it also includes that I turn to God for mercy and for redemption, for deliverance, that I don't hide my sin, that I ask him to search it out, as I said, to show it to me and to forgive me. Redeem me, he says, and be merciful to me. And if you're familiar with the prayer of confession that we pray in church almost every week together, then hopefully you'll know that this is a prayer that we can pray with confidence, both because of the character of God that we've been talking about and also because Jesus stood in our place as it says in verse 9 there, that his life was taken away with sinners in our place. And because of that, we can say, my feet stand on level ground. I am secure because of Jesus. That's the confidence of the person whose words of faith are not just words for Sunday, but they actually make a difference to my heart, my mind, my life, every day of the week. You know, the Israelites, they knew about the omnipresence of God. That is, in the words of Colin Buchanan, God is everywhere. So even though they had a temple, which was the place where God said he would symbolically live, they knew that God was with them in every part of life and that God cared about every part of their life, not just when they came to the temple. How much more should we who have God's spirit in us every moment that we live? How much more should we want to live the life of faith with integrity and with consistency through every moment of life? 
As I said, I reckon this is a great aspirational psalm, a great motivational psalm, something to aspire to, to to live towards, to aim for, particularly as we do start a new year and look to the year ahead. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able at the end of this year to look back on 2023 and to be able to say these things that we read in this psalm, that we have about the way that we have walked with God, that we have lived the life of faith with integrity. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, we do want to be those people who aren't just about the words that we say on Sunday, but that whose life of faith is one of integrity and consistency. And so, Father, we do boldly uh, want to open ourselves to your examination. Father, please do search our hearts and our minds, what we love, what we think about, what we do. Show us where there is inconsistency, Father. Help us to confidently bring that to you in the name of Jesus, knowing that his blood washes away our sin. And help us to be people who, as a result, live every moment uh, in step with you, our God and our Redeemer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.